Right, welcome back to the Hacking Out Golf Podcast. My name is Mark Crosswell. We've got Luce Stagner, Greg Chalmers, as always, with us today. We've got a special guest. We've got Dan, who's a staff writer for Golf Digest, a PGA Tour insider. He's been to the last Live event. Um, he's been quite vocal about Live, possibly online as well. So we're going to talk about his thoughts and feelings towards uh, the new Live Tour. Um, should be a fun episode. Right, welcome, Dan. Thanks for your time. Yeah, yeah. Good to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, was the was your intro right there? Have I got that right? Staff writer and PGA Tour insider. Is that is that what 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 do you really do at Golf Digest? Tell us a little bit about what your actually I, I, role is. I might have to change that to PGA Tour slash Live Golf Insider. I haven't thought about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm uh, yeah. I'm a staff writer. I, you know, I, I cover mostly the professional game uh, for Golf Digest. Go to probably. 15 events a year, um, you know, which I cover as sort of normal events. And, you know, on the side, we have feature work and, and some podcasts and some video stuff. So a little bit of everything, which I think is kind of how it works today at these big companies. Um, yeah. Have skills, but yeah, most, most of my work definitely involves sort of covering the, the men's game. Okay. And when you say covering the men's game, do you mean PJ tour? Or are you covering DP world as well? Or is it, is it mainly yeah, PGA so tour? It's mainly, it's mainly been PJ tour just because we have, you know, we have, People who specialize. We've got you know John Huggin who works for us, who's who's been living in Europe for a really long time. Uh, so he does a lot of the DP World Tour stuff. Uh, with Keely Levins, who does a lot of the LPGA Tour stuff. So you know we're lucky to be you know, one of the few kind of golf centric publications that has multiple people. Um, you know, so we can we can all kind of have our specialty. So so mine, at least for the past couple of years, has been the PGA Tour. Obviously. You can't cover the PGA Tour without covering, you know, the Live Tour these days. So, you know, instead of just PGA Tour, I would say it's just really just like men's elite professional golf. Um, you know, we I don't have any sort of like allegiance to the PGA Tour. Uh, we're definitely we're definitely everywhere. I was in, I was at Portland last week. Um, I'll probably be uh, at the Bedminster event at least for a little while because it's, it's I live in New York, so it's close by. Um, so yeah, everything's changing. Nothing is, uh, nothing is the same as it was two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I was going to say, cause I guess there's no, um, no column in the spreadsheet for budget for live tour. It's just kind of sprung up on you, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, it has. We've had to, uh, it's actually funny that you say that cause we literally have a spreadsheet that has columns of course, on, like, <laughs> does, yeah. Yeah, of course <laughs> of like different events. Uh, and yeah, now there's now there's one for the Live Tour. It yeah, just happened last year. Going to need more readers or cover less yeah. PGA Tour events, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, something's got to change. I suppose you you add more to the pie. You know, you need a you need more to split up. I guess. Yeah. Okay. So my first question then: um, What do you think the level of reporting has been like around the Live Tour uh, amongst like the mainstream media? I'd put you in the mainstream media bracket. Um, what, what do you feel the, the level of reporting has been like? Has it been good? Has it been fair? Has it been very one-sided? Yeah. Like, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's changed a lot. Um, I think there was kind of a sense among us, which I think was kind of colored by the players initially, um, at least the ones who came out and were vocal. Like, I just, I just think back to Riviera in February and, you know, Rory was saying this thing is dead in the water and, and all of these guys came out against it. And I, and I think at that point, it was like sort of a joke. It was like kind of a punchline um, among players, you know, and then, and then it kind of bleeds into media. It was like, this thing is going to collapse on itself. Uh, it's not a real thing. I remember a, a bunch of guys being like, what is it? You know, we've been hearing about this for two years. What is it? What is it? And so I think a lot of it initially was 
a lot of hearsay. A lot of guys were curious about, you know, what the format's going to be, who's going to go. It was kind of this like fun gossipy thing. And then it got really real very, very quickly. Um, and I, you know, I think last week I, I tried to be as honest as I could about what I saw. And I think I saw some others say that like, look, you know, human rights aside, because that's, it's such a hairy topic. And I, I really haven't, you know, talked much about it in the past couple of weeks, because, you know, the more you dig into it, the, the harder it is to draw any sort of clean lines as, as far as you know, good money or bad money. Um, but sort of human rights aside, you know, I think we've been able to say, or to look over the last couple of weeks and say, hey, there, there are parts of this that are obviously um, working, right? There, there are things about this that uh, can make the game better as a whole. I think it's tough online because anytime you say something negative about live, whether it's business model or whether it's, you know, human, whatever it might be, you know, you get labeled as like a PGA tour fanboy. And then anytime you say something good about live, then everyone's talking about oh, how you're, you know, carrying water for Muhammad bin Salman. So it's, it's just, it's hard. It's hard to, to point out things that are good about it without giving the impression that you're all for it. And it's, and it's hard to point out things that are wrong about it without, you know, sort of grandstanding and being, you know, acting as though you're sort of like the moral arbiter of the world. Yeah. Me personally, I, I totally understand. You know, I've talked to a lot of players who have done this and, and, who've made the jump. And I totally understand, like, from an individual standpoint, like, you're getting paid way more money and, and you're going to, you know, play a little bit less. doesn't seem like that much less. It seems like that's been a little bit overblown. But um, I, I totally understand it from an individual standpoint, and I don't hold it against anyone for going. Um, but I also think that there, there, there are reasons to be apprehensive about uh, live golf that have nothing to do with Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll come to them, hopefully. I, I, that's some good points there. I mean, just to go back on something that you've said there. I mean, as a onlooker, as someone who spends their time online and tries to watch what people are saying, to try and gauge public feelings and opinions and enjoy and try and um, promote conversation on both sides, certainly of the live event, certainly around, like you say, with the human rights discussion, I mean, I agree with what you're saying. I mean, I pub if I write anything live related even not even live related if people relate what i post to live you get yeah. are you paid by live now and then yeah. other people saying well you know why are you a pga tour for? i get it's the same it's good but, yeah. but i i personally think lots of that has come from guys like yourself and the mainstream media who absolutely have been pushing the human rights um, element quite aggressively, I would say, it, and, and which is fine because I think it's a really good conversation to have and one that should be being had. But it's the hypocrisy and the inconsistencies that human rights just happens to be a subject that we're talking about now when golf has had lots of connections with some quite large human rights issues where it wasn't a problem in the past. So do you think a product of that 50-50 split of like, you know, oh, you love hate or you, you uh, love live or you love... PG tour, uh, tour, it's coming from the fact that maybe the mainstream media have pushed the human rights element pretty hard. I mean, there's certainly been some very vocal people um, yeah. in the mainstream media who are still yeah. pushing it. In a, As a UK person, I would call it in a Fox News style. You know, we look at Fox News over in the UK at it, like sometimes some of the stuff I see from those broadcasters, I can't believe they're even real. Like we we would make like comedy sketches about some of the reports yeah, we see because yeah. they're so strangely biased. 
Um, I'm not saying the UK press isn't biased, but it tries to be less, even though it is as well. Um, maybe it's a, a bit of a product for the stalls that you guys all set out a little bit. Would that be fair or not? Yeah, I think initially there was a lot that there was a lot of that, um, you know, especially in the beginning when they were holding these sort of like backroom meetings and it was like the Saudis. And, and, and again, it was just everything was very shrouded in mystery. And from this side of the I, pond, sorry to interrupt, from this side of the pond, it felt very anti-Arab. It actually felt slightly anti-Arab from a UK side where I would say possibly we're more connected with that side yeah. of the world well, we and multicultural in our major cities, possibly. Yeah. yeah, definitely more connected. I mean, I think of obviously all the soccer, the F1, the Saudi International being a European tour event. DP World year. Tour has been in that part oh, of the world for absolutely well, years. I, well, that's one of the that's one of the things that I think I'm right about this. I'm pretty sure that the I'm going to look it up right now, but I'm pretty sure that the Saudi International was a DP World event last year right so we're, we're not talking about five. i think it's run for more than one, one year i think it's right no, no, it was three years no, he's yeah. just saying it ended yeah. last this year was the Asian sorry yeah. yeah yeah 2021 it was literally an event on the dp world tour schedule so yes obviously there's a lot more um yeah i think you're probably right there was probably a little bit of xenophobic undertones right you you have a an institution that you know perhaps we naively thought was an American institution. Well, that's not how a globalized economy works, right? There's money from everywhere and all mm. of these kind of, um, so, you know, I think as I know for me personally, as I, as I've tried to learn more and more about this and, and go to the live event and, and, you know, see what's going on and talk to people involved with it. Um, I, I think it's, it's dissipated a bit as far as like the moral outrage on my end. It's not, it's not, you know, and two things can be true at once. You can think what ha what happens over there is horrific, yeah, and you also not have a problem, you know, necessarily with golfers accepting checks from over there. So that's the other thing. It's like I don't want to give the impression that now that I'm saying, you know, I think it's really hairy if we are going to draw hard lines, um, you know, sort of morally. That doesn't mean that that's not any sort of, you know, um, not condoning anything that's going on over, you know, like hundred percent. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Two things can be true at once. You can think it's horrible, and you can understand why golfers um want to go there yeah i think you're probably right in a sense i think there was definitely a little bit of like a reactionary sort of like these people are trying yeah. to steal this game from us um you know would would the pga tour have taken a meeting if it wasn't saudi money i, I don't know but you know in this country i think you're right um probably some of this is you know fox news effect um so some of these people or some of these other countries can be sort of characterized or cartoonized. And um, I was talking with a player last week, uh, one of the, one of the new live guys. And he was like, you know, you hear all of these people talk about the Saudis and the Saudis as though they're like some sort of like aliens, you know? And uh, you know, I just play golf with them and, you know, they're just, they're people. And, and again, that's not, that's not to say that there's not horrible things that are going on in Saudi Arabia that I'm sure a lot of these people have a role in. But yeah, I think, you know, we're over here where we, there's an ocean between us and, and a lot of times Americans can view, you know, someone trying to get involved in our business uh, as, as not purely just like a financial thing. So there probably, there probably has been a little bit of that. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've seen, just one important point thing here. One, one of the things that I think has been really crucial about like this whole debate and how it's kind of shifted. I think there was a belief, and I was I was definitely guilty of this. 
Um, and people's opinions can change, right? And I yeah. think we, I think we want and 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 sort of encourage that. I don't think people should just be dug in and and you know, they have to stick with a certain opinion because they tweeted something once. I think yeah. that's you know, anyway. no, no. Twitter is the truth. <laughs> yeah. Always. yeah. But you know, there seems to be this sort of belief that they, they don't want to make money with this, or they don't really care about making money with this, right? That this is a sports washing exercise, and if they lose millions and millions of dollars every year. Um, they're fine with that because the goal is not profit. The goal is, you know, PR or becoming, um, having better relationships with companies in the West, whatever it might be. Um, we, we can't, we can't possibly know whether that's actually true or not, but it's worth noting that they and all of the live people are genuinely convinced that that's not true, that this is a commercial enterprise, that, um, it's not, it's not charity, you know, they're, 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 unless they get a TV deal, unless they make start making money, this thing's not going to go on forever. It's not a blank check. Yes, of course, they have a lot more runway than a normal startup. You know, I think it's funny that Craig Norman calls it a startup. I'd like my startup to have that kind of funding. But anyways, you know, they do have a longer runway and they do have more cash to get off the ground. But all of the spending that they're doing right now, like it's part of a budget. Right. It's not just like, okay, we're just going to go throw money around and anything's going to happen. These people believe that I mean, when I say these people, I'm saying the ones that work for live that, that the PIF knows that they're on a dwindling asset, you know, oil, it might seem like it's going to be around forever, but it is a finite resource. And, you know, it's why they've invested in, in, you know, soft banks of the world and why they've invested in, you know, Uber Everything, and all these other, basically yeah, all anything. these companies because they're trying to diversify. And so if you look at this as a money-making operation, it's, it, it definitely reframes the argument, right? Because if you say to these players, oh, you're, you're participating, you're an active participant in, um, you know, these guys trying to sports watch their reputation, that's one thing. If it's, oh, no, they're, they're actually trying to, you know, change golf or whatever and make a lot of money through golf, um, and, and you're going into business with the Saudis. I mean, I had a conversation with one of my buddies who works in, in real estate. He works for a really, really respected company and we were talking about the Saudis and he was like oh yeah like we, we have like a fund with the PIF like I mean I was and it was kind of eye-opening to me because what, what am I going to say that, that he's like a bad guy now because he's working with the PIF in an effort to make money so if you view this as a money-making exercise which they insist that it is I think it reframes the conversation yeah I mean I guess as well you'd have to define what money-making is as well I mean I understand what you're saying there and I'm sure they do want to look towards making a profit from a standalone business but I mean, Dubai, down the road, up the road, down the road, uh, it started with the golf course, basically. And I've been to Dubai many times, and lots of people go to Dubai for golf and the property mm -hmm. and all the infrastructure around Dubai, which was built around golf. Yeah. I mean, it was built around golf. Um, Saudi Arabia at the moment are building a ridiculously sized theme-stroke-holiday city with the first outdoor um, uh, ski slope. So an outdoor ski slope in the Middle East. I mean, just mental kind of projects that they're doing. Um, so you could define live as making money as in, I, you know, we spend this much on players and then we get this much back from whatever. But if we all start going to Saudi for these golf trips and then the West starts buying property like they have in, South, in Dubai. I mean, Dubai is the blueprint in that area. Where I was in that area at the start of the year. Liv was being talked about. You talk about people in that area about Saudi. Saudi is a place up the road with lots of money, which is just 
they are growing and investing in anything and the, most of the people there just see opportunity. And Dubai in the five years or so that I've been going is a far better place now than it was five years ago and it'll be a far better place than when Greg went and played there in in, in um, European tournaments. 98. And that's yeah. because it's become more westernised through its connections through tourism and golf and many yeah. other things. Because um, the yeah. term sports washing is interesting. I think it's already always used as a real negative term. Sports washing works. I mean, sports washing can be seen as a way of maybe improving the average person's life in Dubai. Um, you know, it, 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 maybe their lives are better now because yeah. as soon as Saudis start doing something that the West doesn't agree with and they're trying to build tourism around there, the Westerners aren't going. Um, so in theory, you could argue maybe that in the long run, it could yeah. work out as a good thing for, for the actual people of Saudi, um, possibly. But yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting point. It's like, it's like, what do you, I, I think of this from like a purely, if you look at it from like a purely utilitarian standpoint, like just pure like logic. These golfers saying no to Saudi Arabian money is not, that's not going to force Saudi Arabia to be like, okay, we're a democracy now, right? Like, you know, I, I don't, geez. Carlos Ortiz, no disrespect to Carlos Ortiz, really, really nice kid, genuinely a super nice kid. If Carlos Ortiz decides that he's not going to take Saudi money and he releases some statement saying, you know, this is blah, 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 like not, nothing, not a single thing is going to change. Hmm. Um, you know, and, and, and you're right. Like they're not going to go from, from zero to 100 really quickly. You, you, you can't just um, go from a country that hasn't let women drive and hasn't let, you know, and it's not going to, it's not going to be Sweden tomorrow. That's, that's just not going to happen. Um, but I also think it's really interesting that MBS is like, from, you know, I read uh, Thomas Friedman wrote a piece. If you guys, I don't know if you guys have read it in the New York Times. He's a he's a you know, scholar who's done a lot of work in Saudi Arabia and the Middle East, and he was kind of writing at it through like a political standpoint, not through like a golf standpoint. And he said that like MBS is hugely, hugely popular in that country, um, and there's a lot of excitement about what's going on in that country. Again, that doesn't excuse you know what might have happened in the past and what's probably still happening. Um, but I think there is a certain danger in viewing a country as sort of a kind of lost cause. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Lou, I think you've got some questions for them. A million questions. Uh, <laughs> so let, uh, let's start off with um, uh, Portland. So you were there, um, yeah. and I want to put a little context around my question. I've been to a ton of conferences in my life, and uh, maybe five or six years ago, I went to a conference, and it was the first time these folks had put on a conference. And let's just say it was pretty obvious. It was the first time they had put on a conference. So you've been to a lot of PGA tour events. Yeah. Um, you know, from your perspective, I, I assume you were there on media credentials. What was it like, not only from the aspect of being there as part of the media, but just being yeah. there as a fan um, and, and being on site, how did it compare? Did they, did they flop or did they do an okay job? They didn't flop. Uh, that's for sure. Look, I think there, there are certain things you can do with 48 man field that you, that you just can't do with 156 man field. Um, just from, a, okay, I guess we can look at this through two lenses. You can look at this through how the tournament interacted with players and how the tournament interacted sort of with fans. Um, Liv is, is making a clear effort to roll out the red carpet. They have a ton of money and their number one goal right now is player acquisition. Just is right. They, 
they have a lot of good players. It's not enough right now. It's not enough. They need more players. They need better players. They know that. And if you talk to any live, they're like, this is not a finished product. We're going to do more. We're going to do more. So they need to attract more players. Well, they have clearly decided, and I think this is smart, that we're going to treat not just the players like royalty, but we're going to treat the caddies like royalty. And we're going to treat the agents like royalty. And we're going to treat the coaches like royalty with the hope that these players turn around or at the Scottish Open this week or at the British Open this or the Open Championship coming up and say, I'll live as mint, dude. I mean, they they flew us around five star. You know, they, we had we got this, we got rides everywhere. So they're doing that, and it's working. It's working with the caddies for sure. You know, caddies like to talk. I'm sure they're all talking to each other. You know, Kenny Harms, who's Kevin Nas caddy, has been posting. You know, basically nonstop all the all the perks of live, um, and they're able to do that. Number one, because they have a ton of money, and number two, because it's a 48 man field, so you can just pull things off that you could you couldn't otherwise. As far as the logistical operation, it was pretty good because they have a lot of money and because there weren't that many people on site. They capped how many people could come, partly because of security concerns, partly because for whatever reason. And so what happened was, you know, it was a lot of times at a PJ Tour event, like, you know, Emma, my fiance, who just walked out, I took her to the waste management. She had like a full on panic attack and had to leave because it was like the amount of people around. It's crazy there. Yeah. She was like, she was like, I can't be here anymore. This is insane. It wasn't like that at live. It was very, very relaxed. Everyone could could go up to the ropes and watch. You know, there were no lines in the concession stands. Um, they pulled off a pretty good event, which which you're able to do when you have that much money and you have a limited field. So yes, it wasn't perfect. There were there were certain aspects that were a little bit kind of, you know, and I think they're definitely still figuring out how the actual team thing is going to work. And 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 but they view this year. I've speaking spoken with a number of them. They view this year as like a beta test for them. They're they're showing. This is like a trial and error period and uh, they're learning on the fly. But yeah, from a, from a logistical standpoint, I was, I was honestly pretty impressed with, with the organization, the operation. That's uh, it's interesting. Yeah. I, I watched some of it and um, I have to say from a broadcast perspective, I uh, I'll just speak from the amount of shots that they, they, that they show certainly better than what you typically see. So I, I enjoyed that aspect of it. You know, some of the commentating, I mean, it, it was, too golf um, still the commentary is too yeah. golf isn't it unfortunately yeah it was it wasn't um exactly my cup of tea it wasn't the worst but it's no different than listening to faldo or azinger drone on <laughs> so anyway um uh, my next question is around um your thoughts on and you kind of touched on this so you said that um you know two things can be true at the same time you talked about your buddy's company um, yeah. And, you know, this, the connections of money and there's been so much around the source of the money. You've had a couple of comments around the source of the money. You haven't been really strong on that like others have, have been. But, you know, it, it's interesting that when you start to, to learn, what's that? I've tried to learn. I've, I've tried, yeah. I've tried to, uh, yeah, tried to ask people about things. Yeah. And it's obvious from some of your comments today that you certainly are taking a very different approach than some. And, and I agree with you because, you know, you work for Golf Digest and Golf Digest is owned by Discovery and Discovery did a strategic partnership with the Saudi government last year. So does that make you a horrible person? Does that make Golf Digest horrible? No, it doesn't. Right. Uh, so there's so many connections um, to Saudi money in a lot of different ways. Um, and it doesn't mean that just because that's happening, that you agree with what's going on over there. Right. 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 
course like, not. I assume you don't agree with what's going on over no, there. Your no, email I'm, ends in discovery.com. You don't agree with what's going on over there, right? No, I do not. Um, and I, I would love for Emma when we drive to drive, like I'm all for women driving. Like, I don't have, you know what I mean? I don't have any, I don't have any of those beliefs. Of course not. Right. Um, yeah, I just think it's, you know, I think it's a slippery slope or it's, it's really, really difficult. Um, you know, if we're going to start holding people to that kind of standard for, for their employment decisions. Right. Yeah. But it's the media who have been holding those people to account. Basically that's back to my point. Uh, Cause I agree with you. I I think, yeah, some of them, absolutely. I think it's the media have made the bed, the aggressive bed that they've made. And some of them are being found out that maybe their bed isn't as clean as they thought it was. Um, because the general public weren't so aggressively this way until the media started. You know, if you're a, a, a not much of a researcher and you're a headline reader kind of golf fan, you are going to be saying blood money. Why are they taking this money? I mean, that's the general feeling I get from uh, from the public. And if you just grab one of them and have an actual back and forth one on one conversation it starts to turn into a bit more of a, a grown-up conversation on the subject. Because that's the sad truth, really. Is, is Human rights is a seriously grown-up, important discussion that should be having. And golf could have that discussion now. It could be having a grown-up, proper discussion about what is right and wrong and where they want to go in the future because the tours still go to certain places and what some of the rules should be. But it, it seems to have become this playground weird immature little fight where people just say blood money or or sports washing well sports washing isn't just negative i mean there's there's some positives to that term but just using it constantly as a negative term just it's almost like feeding the person it's in this pay in this country we have a publication and did do it's not as popular now called the sun newspaper which was just awful um, and that's the kind of headlines they're used. You know, they, it, 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 it emotes the person who just wants to buy a 25p paper and think they've got an opinion on a subject. It's a shame that golf doesn't have a proper conversation about human rights because it would allow it to happen, I think, this this subject. Yeah, and I think, but again, I, I do want to say, like, there is there are legitimate concerns or or topics of conversation about live and about its effect on the game that don't have to do with the Saudis. And that's, that's more like my kind of, that's where I've been thinking about over the last couple of weeks. Like if you put the Saudi stuff aside yeah, or the human rights stuff aside, you know, there, there are aspects of, of this tour and, and sort of the direction of professional golf. And just, just because someone um, doesn't like is such a, such a simple term, just because someone has reservations about live um, doesn't necessarily mean that they're, you know, standing on some sort of moral high ground. Yeah, yeah. And I think you're right as well. There are some huge questions around live, which are outside. If you've dropped the human rights element, world rankings, majors, Ryder Cups, President's Cups, like where do they go? I sit here at the minute where do and they look go at the Ryder Cup like- and think, is there going to be a Ryder Cup anymore? Like does it, because it, whatever event you have that doesn't include live players, and there are some events trying not to have live players included, You've now got an event that hasn't got the best players in the world. Because regardless, if you want to see these papers of has-beens and useless and whatever, the press constantly write about world number, you know, world number 26 players are now useless because they've joined Live or has-beens and passed their best, like, giddy on up. 
Um, but now you've got events that haven't got these players in. So in effect, like, I don't want a minimum. I don't want to win a major that hasn't got those players in. Don't worry, I'm not going to win a major. But if I had, was going to win a major, I would want the live players playing personally. Uh, Greg, you've got a few questions, I'm sure. Fire away. Yeah, so I got a question. Dan, do you think with 48 players, is that enough storylines to tell? Like my concern long-term is, and, I, and let me preface this with, I hate smaller field events unless I'm the one in the field. Um, just, just because I, I, I love the. I tweeted this the other day and I got roasted, but that's fine. That's just Twitter. Um, yeah, I'm curious as to like, is that enough long term? The 48, particularly if it's the same 48 dudes every week. Um, do you enjoy having 156 different storylines, or would or do you think they'll be able to sell that? It depends on if the team thing really catches. So, like, if the team thing catches and there's, like, actually, like, trades and, and you know, guys are getting cut or benched, like, you know, we, there's a whole F1 series that's based on team politics, and that's what, how there's 20 drivers. So, it really just depends on that. But, no, I think you're right. I think if the team thing doesn't catch on, and that's a that's a big mountain to climb. We've it's never hard task, that, isn't it? In that's a, yeah. I don't know if I can curse on this podcast, but that's a very, very hard, you know, mountain to climb because yeah. we, there's no precedent for that anywhere in world golf. If that catches, then yeah, there'll be storylines. If not, I just think back to like some of these WGCs that were just like dead. I like, hate them. Like, you know I, don't I, mean? ha- I don't hate them. I just don't enjoy watching them. I turn them it's, off. They don't matter like, to me. Well, there'd be, I just remember they had, you know, there'd be a WGC in, in Mexico and it would be like the bottom half of the field. Like, what are we even doing? You know, what are we doing here? It's just like going through the motions. So the team aspect, and that's, that's the other takeaway I have from my week down there is like, that's a really, really, really important part for them. They are all in on the teams because they need to sell those teams. That's, right. that, that's a big part of their model. They want to sell those teams to owners. Like, you know, McLaren owns the team yeah. in F1. You know, they, they, I don't know if that would be tailor-made. I don't know if that would be an individual. Whatever it might be, they want to sell these teams. Um, and I think that's a really, really crucial aspect to, to sort of the next layer of coverage of the tour because all of the coverage so far – for better or for worse, and I, I know how, Mark, I think I know how you feel about this, but all the coverage so far, for better or for worse, has, it's not really been about the golf, right? Or the or like who won or, you know, the golf that's being played. The a key, In order for that to happen, I think the team thing needs to catch on. That would be what would differentiate Lyft from the PGA Tour and what would give it some of that drama. Yeah, but there's do an you, element, sorry. Hold on, Mark. Do you think, do you think that, um, do you think that applies, and this is kind of back at Greg and at Dan, um, you said there were a lot of fans out there just happy to watch elite yeah. golf, like, and they were really into it. And do you, like, I will say that I'm a pretty hardcore golf fan, mm-hmm. um, but I don't mind small field events. I just like watching really good players play golf. Um, and to me, I don't care if it's, if it's at mini golf or if it's at the U S open, like I will watch really good players play golf. Um, mm-hmm. And do, so do you think there's, a fair number of people that are going to not really care about the small field events and some of the downsides and just want to watch good players. For sure. For sure. Yeah. So the question is, is it enough? Yeah. And again, that gets back to the question of, of how much is of this is really about profit. You know, there's, again, there's just so many, un, uh, you know, there's so many unknowns with this thing. It's, it's impossible to know what the Saudi's true motivation is. I think it's profit. I'm not entirely sure. It's impossible to know. Not impossible. I, I'm not an expert on on sort of 
television, you know, sports on television. I don't know what's like a critical mass. I don't know what's what what kind of numbers they need. Um, but I know that it's not going to continue on on YouTube and Facebook. That's that's not going to pay the bills. I, I can't see that being a, a you know a lasting thing. So sure. I think they're banking on a lot of people feeling the way that you do, which is uh, you know I don't really give a shit about you know whatever. I just want to watch some good players play golf. Right. Yep. Is it yep. if it if it sorry go on go ahead. if it works Dan like like if we could fast forward to five years and this works and there's a you know a legitimate lift tour functioning has it been a whiff by the major tours for not sitting down one European tour DP World particularly one thousand million trillion percent yeah yeah, yeah. I mean you know actually like, there's Rory's Mister has been Mister PGA Tour um, and Mister DP World Tour really. And uh, I'm not sure if you guys saw his comments. I think it was yesterday. It might have been this morning. I did, yeah. I yeah, he was, he was like, look, I think everyone needs to, to, to talk. Um, the PGA Tour had to have known that they were out, man, outgunned, out-resourced, right? And because they said, I mean, Monaghan said it when he, when he spoke at the Travelers. He's like, if this is just a money conversation, then we can't keep up with, with the Saudi Arabian wealth fund. Well, that has that fact hasn't really changed since two years ago when they first made this approach, um, and so I think to not even take a meeting was I, I again I think it kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier, Mark. I, I think that they just thought this thing would collapse on itself. Mm-hmm. I just thought that it would, they they probably thought it would never get to a point where they actually had a golf tournament, and I think after February they probably declared victory and thought that this thing was dead, and. Uh, you know, clearly, clearly it's not. Yeah. Uh, my point. Yeah, and it's interesting. Some of the changes that they've made very much, you know, mimic some of the things that some people don't like about live the small field wow. events. You know, like you look at the top players, Rory, what does he play? 15 to 18, 19 events a year on the PGA tour. And, you know, eight of those are going to be small field events going forward for him with no cut. And it, it's um, for people that don't like that, they're going to be seeing a whole lot of the top players playing that style, which if that's not your cup of tea, you're probably not too happy about it. It's yeah, a yeah. tough time for, look, I think the PGA tour um, and Greg knows this, you know, obviously more than the three of us um, guys I've described as me as, you know, there's an A tour and a B tour out there and the guys on the A tour are playing in like, you know, all the invitationals and all the majors and stuff. And they have a different, set of priorities and different wants than the B tour. And, you know, for a while, the B tour guys have, have had a pretty, you know, solid situation going. There's 125 cards. There's a lot of guys finishing, you know, sort of between 70 and 125 and they're, you know, making their 1.7 million a year or whatever. And, you know, they're safe. Well, you know, more of that money is going to be funneled now to, to the top players. It's just, that's just what's going to happen from this. It's already happening. More legacy, so, I guess. I, I guess. Here we go. Legacy. <laughs> Dan, what do you think will happen with uh, uh, official world golf ranking points? It's kind of an interesting topic. And like underneath that is a lot of the people that are going to be making that decision members, yeah. are in competition, quote unquote, with live. And so they, they are outspoken against live. Um, and now they have to make a decision that's going to have a huge impact, not only on live, but on their tours. So it, it's, Seems like quite a conflict. So one, do you think they'll get points? And two, do you think people 
like Monaghan and, and Pelly and others are going to have to recuse themselves from making that decision. Yeah, it's a really, it's a, it's a huge domino that's yet to fall. Uh, if you talk to the live people, they're sure they're going to get points. Um, and you, you better believe that, you know, the Abe answers of the world and the, the Taylor Gooches of the world have been told, like, listen, you're going to get points. Because I don't think that those guys would do that. Guys who aren't exempt into majors and stuff, if they didn't believe that they were going to get points. But if you talk to the PJ Tour guys, they think they're not going to get points. My, my prediction, and again, this is just with everything else here, I'll probably be wrong, but my prediction here is they don't get points and it's, and it's challenged up ass in, in, in court. I mean, it's hard to imagine. You see it from both sides, right? There's established criteria. This doesn't meet them, but there's also, you can't pretend like there's not way more relevant players on here than the Sunshine Tour and the Sunshine Tour gets points. So, Look at the yeah, Irish Open. Look at the Irish Open that just went past. I mean, the Live Tour events field was stronger than the Irish Open's top twenty. Look at the top twenty in the Irish Open. The Irish Open is a fantastic DP World Tour event. Uh, there was one player probably in the top 10, 20, that anyone would be able to walk past and know who they were. Um, they're getting points. It, it, it's it's a crazy situation. The world ranking points is out of the minute. It would it would seem if I'm trying to be as impartial as possible, it does not seem appropriate to me for Jay Monaghan to be part of that decision. No, it's insane. Yeah. yeah. And Pelly, he's on that yeah, decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, I meant Jay just has like a condo, you know, all and of the, then, any of the guys who have, a, who have a horse in the race. So that right. committee basically shows how unprepared golf was for change and how much it never wanted change. I mean, it's just, it's not prepared for the situation it's it's found itself in. It, it, it sums up golf in, in it makes me think of a sports committee as in a golf club committee and how ridiculous the decisions they are they come up with it that committee is just not fit for the purpose of the question that's being asked to it and that's no disrespect to the people on it that just means that they've got horses in the race how can they have a yeah. say on it it's comedy yeah it's like greg norman shouldn't be part of that decision either but yeah 100 percent should not yeah. I mean, he should put a case right. forward right. to an independent yeah. committee but i mean i mean if you, if you, maybe we if, should be the committee we let's be the committee. <laughs> Easy. If, uh, Easy. Do if, I get look, free sandwiches? I'm in. If Jay Monahan and you know doesn't recuse himself and and they don't give them points or Pelly doesn't like, I don't know how how that's not anti-competitive be, like behavior. Yeah, yeah, it's monopoly, isn't it? Particularly if they if they get away from, I know they don't want to, but probably, but if they get away from a 54-hole event and go to 70, because one of their biggest sticking points, there's seven criteria we were told they don't meet for points. They haven't even applied yet. And because they know they don't meet the criteria. So, and having a cut and a larger field and 72, which goes totally away from what they want right. to do, but right. that is, that is one of the biggest no challenges. Rules. There's also, no there's also no rules. So if they decide that we need to do, even though we don't want to, we need to do this, is it, it might be worth it for them to make these changes in order to get world ranking. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. We're just in the middle of this. It feels yeah. like it's been going on for two years and like we're just barely getting started, it feels like. Well, that's also, you, you could argue that's a failing, isn't it? Because this was coming. It's been coming for ages. These discussions should have and could have been done. But it just felt like that people didn't want discussions. If you listen to lots of the reports that Greg Norman has done, and obviously Greg Norman's biased on the live side, so taken with whatever pinch of salt you want to, he seemed quite open to have chats from the start. But those start those chats just never seemed to happen, and now we're in this situation where 
it, it's like them yeah, for us. Like, like it's why yeah. is it them for us? It's I'm as a golfer lose the person we should only really be caring about here because he's the one who goes to watch the Lion King. He's the one going to watch the show. He doesn't care who is in the Lion King, but he just wants to watch the Lion King. Like he loves the Lion King. Let him watch it. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, Dan, you <laughs> Look at the little article. man. He loves the Lion King. I do. <laughs> you, uh, little man. I'm joking, um, Luke. You, Dan, you wrote an interesting article, and I'm curious to to uh, to kind of hear some expanded thoughts on that. And I wanted Greg to chime in uh, on this as well. You know, I'm not a tour player. I'm not an elite player by any stretch. Oh, um, and man. you said that the you know the fact that it's a no cut event, guaranteed money, it kind of takes away the drive for these players to be good or be competitive. And I, I, that's interesting because I think one of the ways that players get to the top, so get to where they are is they're all hyper-competitive. We can, you can probably do a, a, a Google search right now on, you know, golfers, ping pong, right. And there's an article out there more than one about how insanely competitive they are. And even when they're playing ping pong against each other, they want to beat the brains right. out of the person they're playing against yeah. because they're hyper competitive. And that's why they're world-class at what they do. Um, do you, what, do you think that having that guaranteed money could actually potentially help them to play a little bit better because you know, if you're a bubble player, there's a significant amount of pressure when you're trying to keep your card. And, and I'm just, I'm just assuming that I've never been in that position, right, right. but when you have a giant bank account, um, the pressure that you put on yourself to make that next check to kind of keep the lights on. And I know that's, and that's a quote unquote, keep the lights on, but it, would it potentially help them to play better by, by not having to worry about that aspect of it? I think Greg should answer that first. Yeah, I'm curious. Yeah, so um, I've been paid one time a, a ridiculous, what I deem a ridiculous sum of money to, to show up to a tournament. And I've never felt more pressure on a Thursday at a general, just normal golf tournament in my life because I had to, I felt like I had to play well. Um, I don't think, uh, we, I was talking to this with another pro today, you know, at the tournament out here, and we were, you know, he was of the opinion the competition, you know, you wouldn't try as hard or anything. If you were struggling, it, golfers are great when they're doing well. It's when you have adversity that I could, he thought guys would tap out. But I'm kind of more on your page, Lou, I, particularly for if you're a fringe dude who could get punted at any point. Um, yeah, no, you're going to be grinding, right? And you want to justify that income. You want to justify, well, they just give me a ton of money. I need to go play well. Like, cause you know, Phil's a great example right now. He hasn't played well the first couple of times. And I'm sure there's a part of the large part of it's like, I need to get my S together and sort this out. Um, because, and golfers don't like playing like garbage. It doesn't matter. Even though you're getting the money, they still want to compete because there's more money when you play well. Right. So yeah, I, I don't see the competition personally. Um, they're very competitive dudes. All of them. There's a lot of alpha males there who want to win and want to succeed. Um, I, you know, you, they'll see Bryson out there hitting balls for hours and they'll be like, I better go to practice because I got to beat that guy um, or whoever. Right. That's yeah. my take. Yeah. I think there's no, there's no one size fits all answer. Everyone's different. And I'm sure there are, there are certain guys who are just like intrinsically super competitive and motivated. Um, I did feel a little bit last week that like some of the guys kind of toward the bottom 
Um, and maybe the team aspect, if again, if it catches on, that'll that'll change because I guess every round matters, right? Like you could you could be, you know, shoot 10 over the first two days and then shoot six under and be the difference for your team. Um, but I don't know, it just felt like a, some of the guys, just from my sense in the practice rounds and, and sort of on the range, they'd sort of moved on to a new chapter a little bit, you know, where it's like all, all of that drive and all of that um, competitiveness that, have, that has gotten them to where they are. Um, this almost felt like it was, they were reaping the rewards for all of that, if that makes sense. So you know, walk in the sunshine for some of them. If you're in my age bracket, absolutely. It, it could is, be perceived right? That way. Because, yeah. because, you know, some of these guys are like, listen, I'm 46 years old. I'm 48 years old. I'm 43 years old, whatever it is. I'm 39 with 12 surgeries. Um, and they just gave me all of this money. Um, as It's almost like a rule for some guys, like a reward for their career. So I think it's going to be different for them than it is for like a, a Bryson or an Abe answer who these guys are not in the, not in the time period of their career where they're, where they're ready or want a reward for their career. They're still in the middle of it. They still they feel like they have the best golf. So I just think it's, I just think it's very different for everybody, but you're right, Lou, because there's going to be more events like that on the PGA tour. So if, you know, if it's such a bad thing, why is the PGA tour um, emulating it in a, in a certain way? Yeah, and that new format's going to be tough for some of those fringe players because, you know, once you get into the – once you work your way into the top 50, uh, it's a lot harder to work your way out of the top 50 than it is to try to get into the top 50 because you're going to be in some of those events where you're going to – I mean, Greg will tell you. Um, you, you get into some of those events and, and you earn a bunch of points. Like, you can go and you can essentially play pretty horribly in a WGC event um, where you'd be trunk slamming and you're going to earn more points than a guy who, you know, made the cut at a mid tier field, uh, and finished bottom of the pack at a mid tier field. So, you know, you're going to, you're going to be able to rack up some points, uh, if you're a really good player to help keep you up in the top 50, uh, maybe I'm misinterpreting how that all works, but at least it seems that way from, uh, from the cheap seats. Yeah, yeah, and I would guess as well that that's predominantly the real core golf audience who are actually going to care about that. Do you know what I mean by that? As in, you know, we follow golf, we have some idea of the rules, how much they're playing for, what they might qualify or not for. But I would argue the bigger percentage of the person watching golf, I think I saw a stat where it was something like, I don't know, don't quote me on these numbers at all, but out of the people watching golf, 70% of them don't even take part. You know, it was one of those ones where what what percentage of a golf audience watching on TV take part or not? They just want to watch some good shots on that day and they, they're not looking at the bottom of the field thinking they're just walking in the fields and stuff. You know, that they're actually just, like I'm watching Wimbledon now, I've got no idea what uh, struggles they've done to get to where they are. I'm just watching Wimbledon now and I'll dial out when it's done. Um, and I think lots of your casual golf, um, I think we talk sometimes a little bit from within the bubble, don't we? We forget maybe that, sure. that, sure. that most of the people I see on a lesson tee day in, day out and did do, <laughs> they don't care about what we're talking about. If golf's on their screen, they'll watch it. And right. if there's some good well, that's, shots, that's... they'll marvel at it. And at the end yeah. of the day, that's where your bigger audience is. That's right. where I your bigger agree. audience is. We're in a minority. We're golf dicks. We're not. The, the norm we're like trying you know we, we're wanted to be it and understand it your average golf watcher they just want to watch phil win an event they don't care what it is right. they want to watch dj that's, win an event they don't care right what it is. I, I gotta go in a minute here but i i do want to say that that's one that is one challenge i think that live has is um 
to get people to care about the actual result. No, no one that I know, maybe, maybe it's different for you. No one that I know watches a, a tournament because of like how much money the guys are playing for. It's just not really what fans care about. They can't really relate to it. It's like, maybe, maybe there was like a little bit of novelty with like the tiger versus Phil match when it was like 10 million bucks, you know, one-on-one or initially with the FedEx cup. But like, I don't think when people watch, you know, the U S open, they're thinking about, well, this guy's going to make 3.15 million if he wins. So they're going to need to to find a way to make it matter. And I think they're really hoping that the team aspect is a, is a big part of this. They're going to have to find a way to make it compelling to fans, because I think, you know, having the announcers be like, Oh, you know, he just made one three. It's just, it just doesn't, people just don't, it kind of goes in one year and out the other. I just don't think people really care that much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, but we've been hearing that forever. You know, you watch a PGA tour event and you could, you could go back through the, through the reels and you could find, dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of examples where somebody gave away a bunch of shots in the fourth round on the last few holes and, and an announcer saying, boy, they just, you know, they just gave away 400 grand. Right. So it, it's been talked about before. I, I see where you're coming from and I, I mostly agree with it. Um, yeah. I mostly you know, agree with it, but I think there's some interesting stories with, with a lot of these players. Um, and, and so, you know, Brandon Grace, he's won 50% of what he won on the, the PGA tour, right. In two events. Um, and that's an interesting story. Um, so I, I'm curious to see how it all shakes out. Do you think the majors are going to come down one way or the other? Like, what have you, uh, what have you heard? I think they're going to try and be as deferential as possible. Yeah. So I think, I think if, if the, you know, world rankings don't give them points and don't let them in, I don't think the, the I don't think that the, Majors are going to be like, oh, we're actually we're going to grab all. I think the majors are just going to try and stay out of it as much as possible yeah. because too big of brands. Exactly, it's not it's not their fight number one, and this in in kind of a ironic way only further cements their status as like the most important events in golf because there's a layer of insulation between them and the other tours. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're a major and you're thinking about okay, maybe it's like Champions League. It's like okay, there's the best teams over here and the best teams over there, and they only come together to play on our events. That's a pretty good pitch for them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm really sure. sorry, guys. I do have to go though. I do. No problem. I do have to. Thank you for your really time, Dan. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, Thanks I so much, Dan. Nice to nice to talk to guys who don't always agree. Well, Dan, there from Golf Digest. Interesting to hear that he's actually it did sound like he's evolving a little bit with his thoughts, guys. Don't you think? As in, because I certainly would say at the start of the tweeting world of this, Dan was definitely a little bit more anti where it seems like it he's definitely looking at human rights and those arguments more in a bigger picture, which was nice to hear, wouldn't it? I thought I thought it was great, mate. I, I, you know, I think I'd fall too into the trap of the written word versus the spoken word of like listening to him talk. I was like, hey, he sounds like a pretty reasonable dude. But some of the articles I've read, sometimes I've been like, oh, I don't know about this. I don't agree with this. Yeah, right. Yeah. And you definitely had, but definitely sounds like he's putting a lot of thought into it, which is all you can ask for. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed listening to him and having a chat. There we yeah, go. I did as well. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. There we go. Um, live tour. We need to. St- we need to stop talking about the live tour now. Can we do that? This can't become the yep. live tour podcast. I've told you both this twice now. We need to start talking about what tees people should be playing off a bit more, Lou, and <laughs> club competitions and and Texas scramble strategy. That's what people really want to hear about, Lou. So maybe with next podcast, we'll dive right down into the how to perfect the Texas scramble. Thanks for listening, everybody. Interesting podcast as always. Love to hear your thoughts. Catch you in the next episode.